Have you ever stood at the precipice of opportunity, teetering between the realms of plausibility and outright absurdity? Gazing down into the abyss of an offer so tantalizing it beckoned you closer with its siren song, only for the harsh echoes of reality to remind you, when something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Here's an adage we've all heard, and yet, like a moth drawn to the flame, we keep repeating our mistakes. Here I sat, nine grueling hours deep into this seemingly eternal shift, my eyes glued to the monotonous humdrum of security feeds, all the while wrestling with the nagging question, why on God's green earth did I fall for an offer that seemed too good to be true? I suppose hindsight is always 20-20ths, isn't it? I recall the moment when the bait was dangled before me. There I was, caught between a sea of dank memes on Reddit and the humdrum list of local job postings. A peculiar position caught my eye. A security gig so simple it was essentially a paid lock-in. The promised compensation was a staggering 37 bucks an hour. Naturally, the skepticism kicked in. The position seemed straightforward enough. Watch over the empty corridors of a company too obscure to register on Google. Make sure no one made off with their staplers and play the Good Samaritan if things went south. But the silence about what the company actually did was louder than a thunderclap. Still, the lure of a potential $1.300 payday was a siren song I couldn't resist. I decided to roll the dice and toss my resume into the ether. An eerily prompt response arrived, a call from a private number barely an hour after I'd applied. The voice on the other end belonged to a jittery man named Samuel Thompson. The conversation was less than confidence-inspiring. The man couldn't decide if he was head of security or HR, and his tone was equal parts stress and worry. Yet my stubborn optimism held the wheel, pushing aside the red flags flapping furiously in the wind. The conversation went something like this. David, Samuel's voice wavered on the line, I'm calling about your application. All right, I responded. What about it? I prompted, as the man had lapsed into an uncomfortable silence. We'd like to invite you for an interview, he finally coughed up. Could you perhaps swing by in a couple of hours? I was taken aback. This was either a well-crafted scam or a company desperate to fill a position pronto. I figured if the latter were true, I might leverage the situation to my advantage. So, I agreed to show up, deciding to Google the address before heading out. If anything felt off, I resolved to bail. Fast forward a couple of hours, and I was pulling into the gravel parking lot of a nondescript property in the city's industrial district. Two buildings, their facades unmarked except for minimal signage, stood ominously in the midday sun, supposedly the home of my potential employers. I parked my trusty 2002 Toyota Corolla and stepped out into the eerie stillness, something about the atmosphere gnawing at my senses. A single, lonely car kept my vehicle company in the lot, an ominous sight I'd only come to appreciate later. The office building was uninviting, as if reluctant to disclose its secrets. As I stepped through the entrance, I noticed the reception desk was deserted, a thin layer of dust settling on the fan blades. No email address had been shared on the job listing, and Samuel's call had come from an anonymous number, leaving me unsure about my next move. I let myself idle in the desolate lobby, taking in my surroundings. A formidable security shutter system, a line of chairs flanking coffee tables strewn with outdated magazines, and two ominous hallways extending from either side of the entrance gave the lobby an eerie atmosphere. 
One hallway was dominated by an ominous, heavy metal exterior door, dented as if by a thousand fists. This sight instilled an unsettling feeling within me, like an icy hand clutching my heart. The hallway's doors housed small windows, their view obstructed by dark cloth. And I found myself struggling to recall the exact details of the other hallway. My normally keen attention to detail was failing me. Behind the receptionist's desk was another corridor, its length leading to a T-intersection, doors flanking either side of it. To my left, a humble brown sign directed me to a small room, signposted as the security office. After a few moments of waiting, the front door burst open, and in rushed a man who introduced himself as Ethan Mitchell, the head of human resources. His manner was jittery and his speech rapid, giving off an aura of nervous energy that was almost contagious. As we shook hands, I noted the moist sheen of his palms, further evidence of his apparent anxiety. I'm sorry to keep you waiting, David, he began, pausing momentarily before plunging into the heart of the matter. It seemed they were in a rush, desperately needing a new security guard as the previous one had abruptly quit that morning. Their urgency was such that they were willing to skip the regular recruitment process if I was available to start work immediately. The promised salary was generous, an enticing $1.37 per hour. The only prerequisite was my signature on a non-disclosure agreement, which I hastily signed after a cursory glance. Ethan, seeming relieved, swiftly ushered me into the security office for a brief orientation. Here's your keychain, he said, outlining the function of each key. One for the security office, one for the other offices, and another to control the shutters on the front windows. He handed over a mag light, indicating its potential use as a baton if necessary. My primary duty, as he explained, was to monitor the camera feeds from the office, and there was no need for patrols due to the lack of a partner. He handed me a badge to wear on my shirt, further instructed me to lock the front door and the gate, and oddly, to ignore the other exterior doors, as well as the offices down the long hallway. Before leaving, he pointed to a white binder on my desk bearing the company logo. Read that during your shift, he said, looking somewhat uncomfortable at the mention of it. Before I could ask any further questions, Ethan hurriedly left the office, got into his car, the only one in the parking lot apart from mine, and sped off. Thus, I assumed my role as the security guard and began my duties. Following the instructions, I locked the gate, closed the metal shutter over the front windows, locked the front door, and sealed myself in the security office. With a sense of trepidation, I opened the binder. Instead of a comprehensive log or write-ups of company policies, there was only one page. The rules outlined were far from ordinary and sent a cold shiver down my spine. The long hallway was off-limits. The door at the end of the short hallway was not to be opened. The second building was to be observed only through camera feeds, and only the front door was to be used for going outside. The coffee machine was set to turn on automatically at 2.17 a.m., and I was to ensure a cup was ready to receive its brew. The dispensed liquid had to be placed outside the door of the security office until 2.37 a.m., if I heard a female voice from an indeterminable point within the building, I was not to enter the room on the left of the short hallway unless the voice invited me to do so. If a male voice was heard upon unlocking the door, I was to return to the security office immediately. In case of immediate danger, I was to call a specific number using the phone in the security office and not contact emergency services until sunrise. 
Moreover, under no circumstances was I to attempt to leave the building before sunrise. With nine hours of the shift left, I braced myself for the night, hoping I could stick around until morning. The first few hours of my shift were largely uneventful. I kept myself busy, splitting my time between watching the security camera feeds and browsing Reddit. Then came the time of the demon coffee, which disappeared after being placed outside the door. A scratching sound came from the door while it was closed, but nothing showed up on the cameras. I held my breath, hoping that the rest of the night would pass without incident. The eeriness of my situation intensified as the tourists started appearing on the camera feed showing the long hallway. This unsettled me, and I turned off the feed, unable to shake off the discomforting presence of a persistent shadow in the corner of the room. Despite directly shining my flashlight on it, the shadow refused to recede, leaving me with an unnerving feeling. Since the instructions didn't mention anything about a shadow, I decided to leave it alone, but kept an eye on it, hoping it would not change in size or move. Furthermore, a few fleeting glimpses of what looked like a humanoid figure on the camera feed of the second building sent shivers down my spine, confirming my fears of the place being haunted. At around 4.29 a.m., after an unsettling encounter, I returned to my post, still shaken. I didn't write immediately, but decided to note down the events in detail later. At 3.45 a.m., I had heard a woman's voice, which I initially ignored until it got louder, resonating around me until it became almost unbearable. As the voice invited me in, I hesitated, but eventually succumbed to the loud, unbearable noise, only to hear a male voice upon entering the room. Terrified, I quickly ran back to my office. The unsettling experience left me profoundly disturbed and regretting my decision to take the job. Shortly after this encounter, the female voice started whispering in an unrecognized language. The whispers, initially faint and emanating from my left, gradually got louder and seemed to shift around me. What started as a soft murmur escalated to an almost deafening scream within minutes. Unable to bear the loud screaming, I unlocked the door, and the noise ceased as soon as I opened it. As I entered, I remember a dimly lit room with a woman sitting across a desk, inviting me to sit. As soon as I did, a male voice let out a cry of distress. I sprinted back to my office. The memory of what happened afterward was blurry. At exactly 4.01 a.m., a chilling, inhuman scream echoed through the lobby, accompanied by an unidentifiable, inhuman figure on the camera feed. The entity appeared larger than a human, evoking a fear so profound that I doubted if I would ever sleep again. The creature sprinted from the long hallway into the lobby and dashed to the exterior door at the end of the short hallway. As it futilely attempted to breach the door, it began sprinting in the hallway outside the security office, its horrific screams echoing throughout the building. Its gaze fixed on the camera, and even without eyes, I felt the intensity of its stare. It looked at me with an alien emotion, curiosity that quickly morphed into an intense hatred. A fear gripped me as I realized it wished for my demise, unrelenting in its pursuit. Suddenly, it turned away and charged towards the office door, battering against it with an unknown number of arms. Its screams grew louder, echoing its frustration of being unable to get to me. However, at 4.02 a.m., the cacophony abruptly stopped, leaving an eerie silence behind. Mustering courage, I checked the camera feed for the long hallway, finding it devoid of any presence. 
The door, surprisingly, was undamaged. To be certain that the monster was gone, I called the emergency number from the office phone. After a long time, someone named Samuel Thompson picked up the phone. Before I could explain, he interrupted. Let me guess, it's a screamer? His nonchalant reaction caught me off guard. He comes out at the same time every night, stays for exactly a minute, he explained. I found his casual response unsettling. I pondered on his words, wondering what had happened to the previous security guard and what awaited me. Post Thompson abrupt hang up, I found myself facing an unsettling silence. The oppressive presence of the shadow in the corner was somewhat dampened by its unchanging state. Deciding to hold off any personal breaks to the nearest cafe, I determined not to step outside the office until the end of my shift. The remainder of the evening was loaded with tension, with the spectral figure from Building 2 intermittently flashing into view, only to dissolve as soon as I attempted a direct glance. In a disquieting series of events, the camera began to reveal portions of Building 2 that I was certain had not existed before. A door down the hall started to sporadically open and close on its own, giving me a jolt every time. At precisely 5.55 a.m., and at every following odd minute, the long hallway would appear on the screens, prompting me to shut them off in haste. A few feeds seemed to show a blurred face at the far end, a ghostly specter lost in the depth of the hallway. As dawn approached, I noticed a discrepancy between the wall clock and my phone, with the latter lagging by about 16 minutes. To avoid any potential encounters with the spectral entities responsible for the building's anomalies, I decided to wait till the slower device indicated the end of my shift. I kept a chronological log of the events that occurred in the final hours. At 6.30 a.m., Camera 4 displayed an uncanny doppelganger of myself in the lobby. The figure abruptly vanished as I attempted to rationalize its existence. At 6.57 a.m., the heavy door at the end of the short hallway rattled violently for around 20 seconds. At 7.13 a.m., the chair at the receptionist's desk toppled over, only to upright itself untouched by 7.15 a.m. At 7.30 a.m., a mysterious hallway appeared on camera 16, its location inexplicably outside the structure of Building 2. By 7.50 a.m., alien symbols, seemingly etched into the dust on the receptionist's computer screen, were visible. These cryptic symbols vanished by 8 a.m., along with the menacing shadow in my room as daylight began to creep around the window shutters. Upon the end of my shift, I yearned to hastily exit, only to be stalled by something in the long hallway catching my attention. Despite my attempts to ignore it, I was drawn to look. A face with deep-set hollows instead of eyes, grinning at me with an unsettlingly human set of teeth. After mustering immense willpower, I managed to avert my gaze, exit through the front door, and drive away, my actions potentially license-revoking in their recklessness. The sensation of being watched lingered, growing fainter as I drove home. Attempts to reach the company proved fruitless, its online presence seemingly wiped out, its location unlisted on Google Maps, and the emergency contact number now out of service. A check bearing my night's pay arrived in the mail. The sender's name, Ethan Mitchell, was the only clue. The note read, I presume you won't be returning. Any lingering effects should disappear in a few days. Thanks for your service, a subsidiary of Extra Normal Containment Solutions. Reflecting on the events, I found disturbing similarities between my experience and the fictional SCP Foundation. If the resemblance held any truth, 
I was more determined than ever to keep my distance. Ignoring red flags during the hiring process was a mistake I was resolved never to repeat. The experience had seared a lesson into my consciousness. If something appears too good to be true, it probably is.